0: I don't even know what to do. Let's just like thank them. is is just such. What's really cool is that that this program is is just such a significant part of the outreach and the outreach culture that that happens at Timberwood Church, and an opportunity for for students to come, an opportunity for families to be introduced to Timberwood Church, and and kind of see. Um, Kind of see what 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 the joy and the excitement that many of us have experienced when we encounter a living God who wants to intersect with our lives we 're kind of motivated by what we discover in today 's passage, and the text really starts off with this notion of love. And, and, and we've thought about love and we've sang about love. Um, we've even asked questions of love. Um, the famous Tina Turner on her album um, um, asked, what's love got to do with it? And the intriguing thing about the song <clears throat> is that written by two gentlemen, a guy by the name of Terry Brown and Graham Lyle, the, uh, the song was on her private dancer. It was the intriguing thing about the song itself is that initially producers said, though, this isn't something that should be sung by a woman, which is an intriguing notion. Since a woman made it so. But what's love got to do with it? Now, going to the other end of the spectrum, although I don't know that they're that far apart rock stars and theologians, Karl Barth said this Faith is awe in the presence of the divine incognito. It is the love of God that is aware of a qualitative difference between God and man and man and the world. God and the world. Now, the intriguing thing is Bart, who was uh, one of the members of the Confessing Church during World War II and stood in opposition to uh, fascist Germany and Adolf Hitler, uh, was an individual who wrote wrote amazingly about uh, the theological realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible. And that quote kind of sums up a great intellectual giant, but perhaps this one is more on our frame. When asked in 1962 on his one visit to the United States of America, he would summarize how he would summarize, this I know, words he had published, he replied, this notion of love, fitting into the larger context of chapter 12 of of what does a person who follow Christ do? What do they look like? And at Timberwood, we've always been reluctant to establish a list of behaviors because then it's easy to worship the list instead of worship the God. Yet, in chapter 12, there seems to be a pretty comprehensive list of what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, someone who is authentically engaged. There's markers, there's indicators, a list, if you will, of behaviors that flow out of a vibrant relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, now some things in chapter 12 come very, very easily. And some things take more time to master. But, but that shouldn't scare us, should it? Many times, the things that are the hardest things in life produce the most amount of value in our lives. And to be sure, some things we don't discover until we need them. But ask God if we should pursue them. So, let's get into today's little bit. Verse 9, page 948 of chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This notion of love, it's not just the realm of rock stars or pop stars. It's not just the realm of philosophers or theologians. It is the essence of what Paul declares is is, is most important. This notion of genuine love, of authentic love, this isn't a knockoff love. This isn't a pirated love or a counterfeit love. It's not even a Minnesota nice love. You know the kind of Minnesota nice where I really want to stab you in the back? I I don't. Neither is it a cheap love. So if love is so important, if to answer the question, what's love got to do with it, and we say, well, it turns out a lot. What does genuine love look like? And what are the most genuine expressions of love? In fact, take a moment, close your eyes. It's early, you might fall asleep, but that's okay. Take a moment or so, close your eyes and think about the most genuine reflection of love that comes to your mind. A child... Spouse? A friend? With your eyes closed, listen how Eugene Peterson in the message puts it. Love. Now to be sure, for anyone who's willing to be honest... The text starts out in a very challenging way. Loving from the center of who we are, this genuine sort of love. If someone could carve open, split the chest, and look inside and see who we were, would they see love? Or would they see anger or competition or resentment or frustration or pain? And I think for anyone who honestly wants to encounter the living God, it it, it becomes embracing a mindset of taking whatever else is inside and replacing it with the love of God. That that if we got right, it might just solve most other problems we experience in life if we can authentically engage with the invitation to love from the center of who we are so that the center of who we are is motivated by how the God of the universe loves us and how that is modeled through his son, Jesus Christ, and how that is borne witness to by the power of the Holy Spirit daily. If we can embrace that, if that can be truly who we are at the center and then allow that to flow out of who we are, I think I think it solves most of the other problems we encounter in life. And what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the text gives us a few clues, a few hints, the things that we should be willing to recognize, the things that we should be willing to pursue. Oils are so passionate. I mean, like, honestly, and say, well, you could have a broken arm. And my daughter would come up and say, well, just rub some deep relief on it. It'll be better. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure I need to go to the ER and get it set. No, just put some, my dad was like that with iodine, okay? Okay, seriously, we would joke, okay, we would joke. The guy with iodine, a fillet knife, and duct tape could do brain surgery. I mean, he was good, he was good with a fillet knife. And really, if you think about it and you're in a bind and you need some Steri-Strips, okay. Be- better yet, just carry a little crazy glue along with you, but, but if you need some Steri-Strips, duct tape would work great. I mean, he was passionate about iodine. You had a mosquito bite, he'd dump iodine on it. You had a road rash, dump iodine on it. You had a cut, a puncture wound, whatever it was, put iodine on it. It'll make you better. It'll keep you alive. There was a, there was a passion to it. Now, I'm not saying my dad would be into essential oils, but maybe he would. He would recommend iodine for anything. A, a li- I'll take a shot. No, I'm kidding. He'd never said that. <laughs> a, a little bit of that, though, is what Paul's going to get to when he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. <laughs> And basically, the passion that we should have for essential oils or iodine or anything else that we really, really are jazzed about is the passion that we should embrace, the passion with which we should embrace love and the call of Christ on our lives. So if you want to look at what makes love the center of your being, then Paul says, well, it's not hard. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. This this family affection. Now, I understand for some families this might qualify as a pretty sarcastic stance, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Enhance one another's reputation. Be the leader in enhancing someone's other's reputation. Be the leader in demonstrating, of thinking of ways of how you can enhance someone else's reputation. Understanding that enhancing someone's reputation might also include the need to challenge them face-to-face about their behavior. This notion of zeal, okay, it's not three-toed sloth zeal. It's, it's cheetah zeal. Okay, it's, it's this, although that's not a perfect example because cheetah zeal, like cheetahs can outrun a gazelle, but only for a short period of time. And then their brains overheat, and if they don't stop, they'll die. But a gazelle can outrun a cheetah because the way their physiology works is that, is that they breathe and, and the blood that goes to their vein goes through this, this. But the cheetah, if it can, at any rate, <laughs> cheetah zeal going after something ha- having this thing inside of us this this passion this fervor now theologians have wrestled with okay we're supposed to have this passion in our spirit or passion of the spirit so is this the holy spirit or is this the personal spirit that we all possess and theologians have divided on both sides of it so that makes me think that it should be both this fervor that we should have, this zeal that we should have, it is something that is both intrinsic to who we are as well as given to us, enabled by the Holy Spirit. Now some of us are really passionate, OK? And we have zeal. But if we thought about it, it's zeal for the wrong stuff, comes to mind. We can be very passionate about arguing our position and why the other side is wrong. There's a recent article in Time magazine in which Time magazine sought to bring forth individuals who were from a variety of different beliefs on an issue. Um, well, the issue was gun control. And so you had individuals on one hand who were who were passionate about the right to keep and bear arms and were um, concealed and carry holders. And then you had other individuals who basically believed that... that uh, Outside of professionals, no one should have guns, okay? The point isn't where you're at this morning. The point is that this group of people brought together, and when they were face-to-face, it, it, it drained the vitriol out of their arguments. And I'm certain that if we were to ask and want to split the church right now, we would have a passionate discussion about gun control. And some of you would say, well, if you feel that way, then I'm leaving. And others of you would say, well, if you feel that way, then I'm leaving. Please understand, Paul isn't arguing for passionate discussion about all things. Paul is arguing for passionate discussion, passionate interaction about the right things. What are the right things? Who is Jesus Christ? How do we as followers of Jesus Christ love out of the center of whom we're being? And the most passionate discussions that we should have are the ones that are of an eternal nature. That's Paul's perspective. You can be challenged by it, you can embrace it, but perhaps a little bit, of you and I will move closer to this notion that the passion that we have should be a passion for God and for serving God and for intersecting on God, intersecting with God. And to be sure, when we're here on a Sunday morning, we can leave a lot of the other passionate stuff that we have outside the door because we come in here for a different purpose. The challenge is throughout the week, right? The challenge is when you're encountered or when you encounter a situation that's coming out of left field or right field and you are, in essence, surprised. And when you're surprised in those situations, do you use them as opportunities to talk about and think about the reality of who Christ is or do we get passionate about the wrong things, Do we realize the opportunities to serve God when they come in a different time than we would initially hope? In essence, are we ready to talk? talks about sharing our personal faith. The question was asked, 1993 and then in 2017. 1993, I believe every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 1993, 89% of Christians in America said yes. (laughs) Which makes me think, what happened to the 11%? At any rate, 2017, the number changes, 64%. Now, I don't want to beat us up too bad, okay? But I do want to challenge us. We encounter opportunities that will come at the most inopportune times. And if we are followers of Christ, Paul would argue Christ deserves the best representation. Christ deserves the absolute best that we can give. And we never know when through our words or through our actions, through our behaviors, we might move someone closer or enhance the reputation of God or enhance the reputation of, as one who knows God. Impressive as what you know might be, as impressive as what we have might be or, or what we earn or what we know or what we make, what truly impresses. If you want to do something impressive, then serve God. You look at some of the most compelling examples in the history of the world and they're individuals who have served. And you look at some of the most reprehensible examples in the universe and there's people that have exerted power and domination. Paul says, serve the Lord. Be be passionate. Have this drive In your spirit. Now, depending upon our faith tradition, we think in terms of saints being people who have died, who can intercede for us. That's what the Bible articulating about. That's a product of church history. Um, The Bible articulates that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You don't have to be canonized. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Paul says, help the saints. In essence, he's saying, help other Christians. Look for ways. Look for ways. Peterson's translation. Be inventive in hospitality. Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to help. Look for ways to contribute to the needs of people who have need. And with the passion for which my dad used iodine, or some of you enjoy essential oils, so too let your passion for the things of God burn brightly. Theme verse. Circling back to 12, because it's a great verse for a theme verse, for a prayer verse. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer taking them individually, rejoice and hope. You can't escape the reality that there is more to life than living these 80 or 90 or 70 or 60 or whatever number of years that we live on planet Earth. We spend a tremendous amount of time, energy, and resources for this brief period of physical time. But that's not the hope that we have. The hope that we have is heaven. The hope that we have is an eternity with God. The hope that we have is not growing older, it is growing younger. And that hope is discovered in Jesus Christ. And there is no place else that offers you that kind of hope in such a unique, concrete, understandable way. Know that you and I are wired for something far better, far greater, far more glorious. Something in which our bodies do not grow old, but a place where our bodies continually grow young. Rejoice in hope. Live in the hope of knowing that you are forgiven. Live in the hope of being in a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And live with the certainty of growing young. Eternity. Heaven is before us. Rejoice in hope. Patience in tribulation. This one isn't quite as much fun. Because it's not like patience if tribulation. It's patience in tribulation. Which seems to suggest that life, while we live it here, will be difficult. Rejoicing in hope, but until the hope is realized, there is patience. Because life is full of disappointment. Almost every day. It seems sometimes. And if your body doesn't work right, you're experiencing tribulation. Some people want to say, oh, it's only about spiritual banners. No, I think it's all of life. I have a holistic view of life. And so the difficulties that we experience in life, the trials and tribulations can do one of two things. They can either draw us from God or to God. Do we have patience in the midst of them? Why can we have patience? Because we have this hope. prayer. Constant prayer. Seems like a tall order. Don't make it harder than it has to be. It can be as simple as, God, I need you. Help me. With today's text in mind, it could be, God, help me love. With chapter 12 in mind, it could be, God, help me approach this list. For some of us, it's, God, help me leave my past. Ago, and I think i shared this story with some of you at some point in time, where I was just like, you know, I didn't want to pray. And it didn't feel drawn to prayer. Didn't feel like praying. Not that praying in front of, on this stage, was difficult. That was easy, continues to be easy. I enjoy praying, I enjoy closing my eyes. Okay, but on my own, in my own private space, in my own private time, find it extremely difficult to pray. And I would try to engineer ways to pray. And it was just proved to be incredibly frustrating because I couldn't pray like I thought I should be praying. And finally, I just said, God, I have no idea what to do because I don't feel like praying. And so if you don't give me the desire to pray, then I'm not going to pray. It's up to you. It's on you, God. I'm a little defiant. I'm not going to pray unless you draw me to times of prayer. That's just kind of the way it's going to be. Now, I understand taking that statement too far gets you in. I don't even feel like doing this. So unless you give me the desire to do this, I quit and I'm not going to try to pray. I'm done. I'm done trying to pray. I'm done. I'm done. Sometimes the best things that we can do is resign. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. You don't feel like living. You don't feel like praying. You don't like feel like reading the word of God. You don't feel like loving your spouse. You don't feel like going to work. Some of the best times are the times where you resign and say, God, I, I, I can't do this. I, I cannot do this, and I will quit trying to do this. If you want me to do this, then enable me to do it. Honest. God said, Thank you for your honesty. So, what's love got to do with it? it? Turns out a lot. Please pray with me. Father, it is easy to think of this time as a corporate experience. but this is deeply personal and deeply real. This is deeply individual. This is intimacy at a level few of us have ever touched. Allow us to love, Father. payment of love. For some, it's a encouragement to be more loving, be more gracious. And for some of us, <laughs> it's resignation. I can't love God. I can't love at all, so I need your help if I'm going to love. I don't even love my spouse, God. If you want me to love my spouse, give me the desire to love my spouse. Father, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even want to pray. If you want me to pray, give me the love of prayer. Father, there's so much in my life that touches evil. If you want me to walk away from evil, give me a love for good. These are not complex words, ladies and gentlemen. But when we exchange them with the holy God, they rise to a level of intimacy. And with everything that I have, I urge you to embrace what God has in store for you. I urge you, in the words of St. Paul, let love be genuine.